0: Okay, Uh, let's open your Bible, if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I think uh, Carol will get a Bible. First Thessalonians, Chapter 2. All right, so quick review. Way back when, when we started Thessalonians, uh, we first started talking about kind of our worldview. Like, how did the Thessalonians see the world? And the world you know, was uh, created by God, redeemed by God, or, you know, Christ, and the future is set by Christ. So you have this worldview that says everything is all taken care of in Jesus' death and resurrection because it's all taken care of, then your future is set, and if your future is set, then your present, you should live with great confidence and uh, boldness. So that's kind of your worldview. That directly affects how you live, which is ethics. And we kind of talked a little bit about how the Thessalonians were living. Uh, and their, their ethics were very similar to maybe their neighbors, except for the one fen- fundamental difference was that their ethics, the way they lived, was grounded by God himself. So this is, you're participating in the life of God where the pagan in Thessalonica was basically being a virtuous person based on philosophy. Now the thing is, though, so Paul says you've got to live this way, but if you're in Thessalonica, there's no Christians there. So there's not like a kind of a, oh, hey, there are the Christians over there. I'll just be like them. They don't have any of that. They don't have a template. So Paul is the template for them to be Christians. And... But, of course, Paul's template is Christ himself. But rather than Paul saying, just be like Jesus, he says, be like me. Because if Paul were to say, just be like Jesus, that would still be abstract. And they most likely would fill in being like Jesus according to uh, kind of philosophical categories. So Paul says, be like me. And that's what we kind of talked about last week. Now, this week... We're going to talk a little bit more about this imitation business, but precisely in terms of, like, pastoral care for the Thessalonians. Okay? So, uh, which will mean, like, we'll kind of evaluate how Paul's a pastor and how the congregation are congregation members. Anyways. Okay. So, um... Okay, chapter 2. Well, we're going to just start in the first uh, six verses here. For, for you yourselves no brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Okay. Okay. so as we as we kind of consider in, imitating Paul, and as we finished last week saying, on some level your pastor is to be a, an, like an example of the Christian faith, and that you are to imitate your pastor on some level. Uh, but in addition to that, though, which we, ne- we didn't really get to at the very, very end of our study, was that the congregation... Or, or, or like So, Paul's uh, to be an example to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians are the same, at the same time going to be example to others. And we first see that in chapter 1, verse 7. And then we also see that in chapter 2, a little bit later, in verse 14, where the, the churches in, in Judea, that would be around Jerusalem, were examples to the churches in uh, Thessalonica. So, there is this kind of double imitation going on here. Um, so, when we hear that, though, you know, was there anything that made it easier to imitate Paul and the other congregations? Because, of course, if we're putting ourselves into kind of today's context, if someone says, hey, imitate me, that's good reason to what? Not imitate him, right? So... If Paul, you know, so since Paul says it, and then Paul even encourages the, the congregations to be like other congregations, which sounds kind of like you're not that great, right? So you've got to be like somebody else. Uh, you know, what makes it easier to actually fulfill these words? Because, I mean, this is exactly what the words mean. I mean, you should be like these other people. Okay? Um, so what makes it easier? is in uh, chapter 1, 5 through 8. Paul states that the Thessalonians know what kind of men they prove to be for their sake. So that, that's a gospel word, right? For you. So Paul says, I'm like this for you, not for himself. That's real important. Okay, because then Paul's already putting, trying to put himself under Jesus because Jesus lives not for himself but for us. All right, and we see that most uh, concretely when Paul says, hey, be imitators of me and the Lord. Now, Paul and the Lord, the word and connects those two. So as you imitate Paul, you're imitating the Lord. So how Paul and the Lord are similar. So from your reading of Thessalonians, how is Paul and the Lord similar? According to the book itself or if you just want to kind of pull that out and think about the New Testament in general. How is Paul and the Lord similar? How can Paul say this about himself? He's teaching the Word of God, word of God like Jesus. He's suffering. How did, how did Paul suffer again? Well, uh, more, more, most immediately here. There you go. That's right, perfect. And they probably heard about his butt kicking in uh, Athens and Corinth too. But so, okay, good. So, so we already see his his teaching and his suffering. Now, of course, in today's world, if you say your pastor is like Jesus, out of those two choices, which one do we normally think about? The first one, right? The teaching. Oh, he's your pastor is real smart, just like Jesus was real smart, and he, okay. Um, well, I don't know how it is. Oh, all right. Okay, good. That's good. So, hey, good job. You're thinking uh, Catholic, small c. <laughs> That's right. Um, so then that that gives us so now we have to ask ourselves then how do we live according to which is it kind of where I'm driving to? How do we live as Paul talks about in this in our in our world today? I mean, in our in our context. All right because if you the the section I just read out of those two choices teaching God's word, now Paul makes that abundantly clear. I said the Word of God to you, you received the Word of God, I shared the gospel of God with you, you received the gospel of God. this comes up I mean all the time, but the kind of the description or the descriptive narrative, not narrative the descriptive uh language here or the teaching language is not really about uh parables and doctrine, but it's about what? Well, it's about his suffering, right? It's about what's happened to him. And that's really important. I mean it's it's important because it, it means something. So uh so I think that would make it easier to imitate Paul for the congregation. Because just like he's just like Jesus, Paul's imitating Jesus in that respect. Um, and and so let's give a real world example. We hear about our uh, friends in Siberia who, you know, uh, suffer. Uh, you know, Sivlat, he doesn't like to, Bishop Litkin, he doesn't always like to talk about that stuff. But um, so... Uh, about 10 years ago, in this town, Abikon, Pavel Zayakin, who we give money to for the, we help support this youth camp, he, he had to go to the Supreme Court. Because he was accused of, does anyone remember, I don't know if Pastor Brzezak talked about this. Well, yeah, sect. But yeah, that, that, was, that was a double charge, though. It was, it was, that, was, that was part of uh, the accusations. Oh, well, there was another one. He was accused of what? Uh, being a an American spy. <laughs> yep. So, uh, so I mean, you know, we talk about. I mean, this is kind of interesting. So he, he, like they're. The future of this Siberian church is really riding on this, this whole situation, and they were found not guilty. But. Well, what what happened to them? They joined a what, a cult? Because it sounds too cultish, right? Because that's what cult people do. Runs up against our culture. Now, now, hang on though, no, Carol. So let's let's play this out a little bit more about Siberians. Uh, so you have so now you have another situation where you hear about the stories of the Siberians practicing their piety, and you have so. Uh, if you're on the, the newsletter mailing list, you always hear the, uh, for the Siberian Lutheran Mission Society, you always get these little stories about how this pastor will travel, you know, like a 1,000 miles and will have church with two, like, 85-year-old women. Now, I mean, for me, that really touches my heart. Like, first of all, that uh, the pastor does that, okay. Um, but that these women, I mean, these, these two women uh, survived, you know, communism, no pastor, no congregation, just themselves. And now at the end of their life, they're receiving what they've hoped for, you know, for decades. That's yeah, pretty inspiring, right? So I want to be like them. I mean, so so we have this imitation going on, whether we call it that or not. We actually have seen it in real life. And so Paul's drawing upon this is that the church in Thessalonica is doing that to Paul, because Paul, I mean, Paul can talk about his sufferings. Now, of course, we always, a little part of us will think that Paul is trying to self-promote. But the reality is, is that's just what's happened to him. And so, he's got to talk about this. But then, too, about the congregation in Thessalonica, they, too, are great, are ones to be imitated because they have suffered. And next week, we'll actually talk about their suffering. So we're gonna talk about the, the Dionysus cult and the, the Cabri cult and the Imperial cult. We'll start that next week and how that would actually influence the... Uh, but, um, so we'll see that more clearly next week. But they have suffered because of the social uh, pressures. And so now they've become an ex- example to everybody else. Uh, so it's a little easier now to imitate Call in this congregation easier insofar as there's a desire not necessarily fulfilling this like I, I, I mean I think about these 285 80 80 some year old Latvian ladies who live in this uh, small town in the Hakasia region of Siberia and I'm thinking like you know, could i have done what they've done I don't know but I would like to think that I would be like that I mean anyways okay Yes, Krista.
1: I had another. I had a friend many years ago, and she was a missionary. They were the missionaries, and they, they were here for further. And she went to one church in in um, in region here, and she said it's overcrowded and crowded, but I'm so sad because they are coming for the pastor. And he's and she said when the pastor is gone, then the congregation, you know,
0: pastor right. is gone
1: too. Right. You know, these are uh,
0: sometimes... Um... Yeah, that's good. That's good. We're actually yeah. going to talk about this. Because... Okay, good. So, Krista brings up people come for the pastor. Now, which, of course, as Paul says, imitate me, you could understand that being, hey, they just come for Paul. Now, of course, Paul in verse chapter 1, verse 6 says, become the imitators of Paul and the Lord. So, he's connecting with the Lord. So, if you imitate Paul, you can imitate the Lord. However... uh. There's a real life situation that happened last week in Charlotte, North Carolina. Stephen, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Uh, Futrick, I think is how you say it. Um, He's the pastor of the Elevation Church. Elevation. Okay, so we've been all taught very well here at St. John. And so we already are kind of suspect of that because it doesn't really, I mean, I don't know what that means. It's not even like a biblical word, but um, I mean, call me crazy. I'm serious about the Bible though, but I think the church should be too. But okay. Anyways, so you have Elevation Church. Um, He's like this new up and coming like mega church pastor. He's 33. He's hip. He's part of this uh, group of young men who are like these hipsters. They're, They're all mainly Pentecostals though. There's a guy, Carl, somewhere another. He's got this church in Manhattan. Justin Bieber goes to it, and uh, you know, so you know, these are like cool guys, right? <laughs> Judah Smith is another dude. Anyways, so he's part part of this like, kind of this group. Anyways, he came under fire this last week, last week, last week, because he's building a house, sixteen thousand square feet house. He's a pastor. Uh, now he says it's only like eighty five hundred square feet of heated house, so I, I don't know what, I don't know what that other part is, but yeah, probably garage basement. Now I'm trying not to be cynical about the whole thing, but it's very easy to right. I mean, I'm like, holy smokes. Okay. Anyways, that's <laughs> beside the point. Um. The, so the thing is, is that so we what we uh, so so we have a real life example now of how. Uh, it, oh, oh, I'm sorry. So let me let's. Okay, so the congreg- So the news, news guys are asking these questions, and um, the guy's probably a Christian or he's some disinfected Christian from a while ago, and he's kind of angry about the whole thing. The reporter, that is. Uh, but he, um, they kind of come to the point. It's like, hey, that's fine. If you know, if your church wants you to do that, that's whatever. That you have the right. But why don't you actually tell the congregation? But there's no, like, voters' assembly meeting. There's no, like, public meeting. Everything is set by these board of overseers who um, aren't even part of the church. They're other pastors, and they dictate. So now you have, you have scandal now because it's not only this uh, kind of greed, but now it's, it's this secretness that's going on. And what was interesting was the reporter said, "Hey, these other churches are like this," which kind of raises a whole other question, like, but they're open about like, how this pastor gets paid, you know, whatever money and all this stuff. Uh, and so the, the congregation's response to this: What do you think the congregation's public response to this is? Which goes to Chris's point. We're coming back to Krista's point here. Not at all, Krista. They're defending him. And so you have to ask yourself, are they going to the church for Jesus or for him? Yeah. Uh, now, the thing is, though, is that, so now, if you check it out, he uh, he kind of defends himself. And his house is what? How is that defensible? Because it's a... Uh, uh, yeah? No, you still think, yeah, you got to think more like, Really bad theology. <laughs> the Lord has blessed me. Bam, there you go. It's a blessing. It's a gift from God. Is it a house? Yeah. yeah. house. 16,000 square feet. So we, we compare Paul's example and how the pastor on some level is supposed to imitate Jesus and the congregation should look to the pastor as that imitation. How, how does this example not fit, basically? It's pretty easy to see how it doesn't fit. Well, okay, so hang on. Now. I, I would say that's a more cynical response, surely, although I totally agree, but I, I try to be objective about this thing. No, not at all. I mean, it's real simple, right? I mean, come on.
1: Lots of Southern Bible people. And right. I, was, I came first from an Episcopal church background, then the Lutheran church. And I was shocked because of all these awful uh, Baptists.
0: Yes. Sure, sure. Who
1: were really into this idea of the Lord's blessings in some book about you, if you're a Christian, you're the child of a king and how do kings live.
0: Yeah, right.
1: all this stuff. You know, and later I read some... Theologians were speculating that part of it was, it used to be that a lot of these churches were very poor. And then as the economy increased, they started getting, becoming more wealthy. And so to validate this increased wealth and they're using it for themselves (laughs) to increase the theology to make it suddenly a sign of God's approval.
0: Sure. Now, here's the one thing, though, is that, so now there's a flip side to this whole scenario. Okay? Because Paul... Galatians and uh, in Corinthians it says that a pastor's due his his pay basically so what we find out now is so in this circumstance in, in, uh, in Thessalonica we have some some kind of scenario where you have public teachers who are Teaching or preaching in order to gain okay and in fact that's what we read here in uh, uh, verse chapter two verse five okay, but the whole point was is that so yeah, so now we're kind of mixing here so the, the the thing was is that we have a real life example of how a pastor probably is not one to imitate first of all, you can't imitate them I mean how can how can I how can we never imitate this pastor in his living? I mean, how many people are living in 16,000 square foot homes? You just, you just can't do it. So, it's so far gone. Again, the thing, though, is is what, what is Paul putting his emphasis on is not his... His, his blessings are a different kind of blessing, aren't they? There's it, it is, it is actually no materialness to the blessing. It is... Well, in fact, you would, how his blessings are, I think, did I write them down? I did somewhere. Oh, yeah, okay, it's, it's, it's later. But uh, so shamefully treated, it's one blessing. And he spoke boldly while being shamefully treated. That's one blessing. The other blessing was, um, oh, uh, 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 pleasing God by not appealing to men's uh, uh, desires. Uh, not asking for money, and then working a lot. So in this scenario, it's a little different scenario. So, like for instance, uh, the flip side. So Paul also. So let's. I don't want to get too much on the tangent, but Paul is saying in this in this church right now, Paul has to be a certain way to these people to imitate Jesus. Now, I don't want. I'm not advocating that pastors should have full time jobs because Paul in the other. Other letters says, basically, don't overburden the pastor with another job because he needs to be teaching the Bible. I mean, stuff that we normally think about. Um, but in the circumstance, Paul has to do something that's really kind of out of the ordinary to legitimize his teaching. Okay, And so how that all comes about, though, is I touched on it last week, these traveling philosophers. And the role of public teachers. Again, I think last week I said the the modern equivalent would be a TED Talk. I mean, how many? I mean, you go to TED Talks. I mean, that's Nerdville, right? You go listen to a lecture. I mean, most people. Hey, what are you doing Friday night? I'm I'm going to go listen to a professor talk. They're like, okay, you know, it's kind of weird. But in Thessalonica, that was that was like that was the thing to do. That's what you did. You you. And it was kind of hard not to, though, because you actually would have people in the street corner teaching, similar to maybe uh, a street preacher these days. Anyways, okay, so uh, so you have the scenario where philosophers would come, and I think I have a bunch of quotes from... I, yeah, so you have the Dio Christosum. He was a, uh, a, a younger contemporary of Paul, and he talks about how... Um, Certain preachers will uh, f- uh, fill your ears with this teaching, uh, nor for any length of time. But no, they merely utter a phrase or two, and then, after railing at you, rather than teaching you, they make a hurried exit, anxious lest before they have finished, you may raise an outcry and send them packing. So, uh, so what happens is, at, at this time, you have philosophers who felt like, like the only way people learn is if you tear them apart and then build them back up. So the only way people can learn is if you actually tell them how stupid they are. And, of course, you could see how that could, you know, pose some problems with people, right? That oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's awful. The thing is, is though, is that, that that was kind of common, and people couldn't have any rebuttal because any rebuttal, these people, you know, the philosophers were smart guys, and they would just shoot them down all the time. Now, the thing is, so so Paul, in this, so that that was, you would speak with boldness if you did that. That was a kind of a technical term. That guy's speaking boldly now by railing against. So you have, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So Paul, as a public teacher, speaker, preacher, is coming into conflict. However, the conflict is completely different now. It's not because Paul is telling them, you know, how awful they are. In fact, we might get to it. He says, you know, I was gentle as a nursing mother with you. I was as encouraging as a loving father to you. I was, it says gentle, but it's probably like the earliest manuscripts have, I was like an infant to you. So Paul, when he's talking about speaking boldly, he's not speaking boldly in terms of like, you know, hey, I'm going to show everybody how dumb they are and how smart I am. It's the gospel of God, and the gospel of God in this circumstance causes conflict because Paul says, this is who God is, this is, what God, uh, this is how God lives in your life in him, and that runs up directly against the, the gods of Thessalonica and the imperial cult. Okay, anyways, why did I bring that up, though? That's a good question. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, you, you, you can't speak publicly and sound like an idiot. It's very different than our kind of democratic understanding of today. I mean, if you have a computer and an Internet connection, you have a public platform for a blog, right? So you can, you can pretend that you're really smart, but you're not. I mean, just I mean, you just can read it. But back in those days, yeah, you, you would be, oh, so you would be publicly, so that goes back to that quote I just read is that if you had enough guts to be bold, you better be, you better come with your intelligence because people will, yeah, will, will get, come back to you. Not only lay people, but other like scholars or philosophers. And so you had these, you know, so you had these scenarios. And you see that actually, I mean, if you remember to your high school or college philosophy course, you know, Socrates and these discussions and, Anyways, um, so yeah, Paul was a good speaker, uh, but his speaking was on a whole different level because it was grounded in, uh, in God himself. All right, so back to the blessing, though. is that, So Paul's blessings are this whole different list of things that most people would say, that's awful, or that's, that's maybe a sign that you aren't blessed. It's because you're, you're being treated shamefully... there's a bunch of conflict around you, Um, yeah, you don't have any money, you gotta work a lot, so anyways. So anyway, okay, so the whole point is is that back in Paul's time his whole culture had this uh, philosopher kinda uh, public persona and he had to work up against that. I'm not one of these guys. I might look like it, sound like it, but I'm not. So today, I think in today's world, it's not, I mean, there's no, like, you know. I think pastors are the, the pastors are like the the philosophers now, where uh, faithful pastors have to distinguish themselves from the Stephen Puttricks of, of the world, especially as you talk about money now, right? Because in the New Testament, uh, it, uh I mean, money is one of the top five things talked about. I mean, so if you study the Bible, you've got to talk about money. This is just what you do. So um, so pastors you know, have a, so they come into a scenario, if you come to a non-Christian area or a non-Christian person, you have to start talking, you have to start defending yourself already. And Paul, so Paul's doing that, right? So he entered in Thessalonica and he's already in, engaging what people are probably going to ask of him in, in his pastoral care. Okay. All right. So, so the two. Th- okay. So Paul says, hey, uh, be like me, sacrificial servanthood. How does that all work out? It's work in his demeanor. So his work, I already mentioned, is that he's shamefully treated but came and spoke boldly already mentioned that. So let's go then down to, um, uh, this would be, well, I guess it's still verse 1. Our coming to you is not in vain. Uh, uh, Verse 3, I'm sorry. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 3. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Um, Paul's interested in... in, uh, uh, in pleasing God, not man, thus his speech wasn 't empty or in vain and what what 's finding out here is that philosophers at that time uh, would say that their words were uh, not empty because they were filled up with wisdom, but Paul says his words are not filled up with wisdom but with with God himself, the gospel of God um, and so as Paul talks about that, he uses that kind of language, where, uh, but he applies now the content of the language with the gospel of God. So he's talking to a people who would expect a philosopher to say, hey, you can listen to me, don't worry, I'm not like those other guys. Because every philosopher is going to say that, because they want to distinguish themselves. Um, and so this guy, Dio Christosim, again, writes how... If someone comes to you, uh, you know, with, with boldness or frankness and is, is willing to uh, submit to ridicule or to, um, you know, whatever comes his way, uh, then he's, he's, a, he's a guy you should pay attention to because he's not out for it for uh, um, money. But Paul, again, his big unique thing is is that he's he's uh, Paul's unique, however, because he's on a mission from God, rather than seeking out the you know order, society, or virtue. And God fills up his words with purpose, contra empty or vain words of philosophers. So uh, that that's just something that's again te- maybe technical, but people would people would understand that in the kind of the pagan setting. All right, so now we get to the words of flattery or to make money. And Chris awesome has this, he calls them hucksters. That's the translation from the, this guy. <laughs> I, I don't know how to translate that word, but uh, they call them hucksters, which I don't even know what that means. What's a huckster? I mean, I know what it means. It's like a con man, right? Charlatan, Charlatan that's right. That was another word I could have used if I did not use it already <laughs> used cars man amen. man right used car salesman okay all right <laughs> all right this is perfect then because I mean a lot of people right I mean oh this is very this is very applicable to pastors these days there you go that's interesting now, if you do, if you do check out the story, i I've, again, I'm not. It's not really about the dude Stephen Futrick. It, it's more about the scenario around it. But he uh, he has these two nationally like these bestsellers. I, the New York Times bestseller list. Like, I read it every now and then. I'm like, I've never heard of this book, but I, there's like, I don't know who reads them. People not around me, I guess. But he's got a New York Times bestseller, and uh, he, of course. His church service, when the book comes out, is what, uh, what's the church service mainly about? The book. The book. Well, uh, there you go. And so he goes to the conf- he has His church has conferences, and guess what it's about? The book. And he has special uh, speaking engagements at other people's conferences, and what are they about? The book. So the word huckster is very, like, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like too easy to apply that. So um, anyways, now the thing is, though, is that uh, at that, that time, philosophers, though, you had these kind of hucksters, and then you had, like, real philosophers. So Paul is using a premise that I think a lot of people would, you know, kind of understand. So wherever you're at. Whether you're a pagan or a Christian, you could probably say, "Hey, this this pastor is taking advantage of his connections in order to make a buck." I mean, you you don't have to be you don't you just don't have to be a Christian to be upset about it. You can just see how you can just see how this works out. In the econ- I mean, like in, in a capitalist society, though, that's that's good marketing, right? I mean, that, that's good. Yeah, that should be. Uh, yeah, right. I was gonna say that's successful. That should be uh, mimicked. But, uh, yeah, when's my book coming out? You know, I don't, I don't think I have enough uh, <laughs> I have platforms to make that uh, work out.
1: <laughs> you could borrow I'm some from I'm Al Pacino.
0: Or... My own no, no, she's teasing me about, yeah. So, anyways, go ahead. I don't know if this <laughs> language sounds like Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it just sounds like we're talking about some people that are down our street. So That's right. Yeah. Well, I see in, the, in and the sadness is, is that it's so applicable to Christians, like the preachers, right? And, and Paul's applying this mainly to pagans. And that, that's the, I think that's the sadness, because it sounds so, so similar to other Christian preachers. And what kind of witness? So that goes back to the imitation bit. This, this whole point is getting to now. Paul's saying, hey, imitate me. And as you imitate me, then other congregations can imitate you. And that, that can't be applied now in a kind of an American context because of this, this uh, sadness. Anyways, you can read the quote there from uh, Christosom. Not John Christosom. By the way, there's a great Christian pastor from uh, Constantinople in Antioch named John Christosom. They're not related, <laughs> it means the golden mouth. But, anyways. Yeah. How does that, how oh, as a church do we, you know, in only if the goal is to be like Paul and so the others to be like them. Right. There's so many people that don't like St. John. Mm-hmm. Or, you know. Yeah, there's people who don't like St. John, that's true, yep. Those <laughs> who, you know, even
1: though, as you said, we well
0: taught. Mm-hmm. But something about that routes people the wrong way. Right. Oh, that's good. Okay, so. The, the imitators of you know, pastors who are trying to imitate Christ, and then people are right. criticizing us for it. All right, so yeah, if you, if you have the little handout, I ask this question now. So we kind of talk about the pastors, but what about the congregation? Fundamental issues. If a pastor recounted like what Paul did, how would a congregation react in this day and age? Tune your own horn. Your own horn. And how do people react to when people toot their own horn? You don't like it. Um, yeah, and if, if, if a pastor recounted like Paul, once they get over their reaction, how would a congregation live? Which goes to Holly's question. So, I might not like it, but if it's true, then I have to do something about it. See, the thing about Stephen Futrick is, is it's just that it's, you can just completely dismiss him now. Because it's so not true, I mean, I'm sorry. What he did was, you know, wrong and all that. That's true, but like his his uh, how you can apply him to Paul or to Jesus. Is, so everything he says basically now is. All right, so so yeah, okay. So tutoring your own horn... It's uh, tuting. I, I I I hang out with junior highers way too much. Uh, Self promotion. Self-promotion is based on a a lie, okay? But Paul's, quote-unquote, self-promotion is based on what? The truth, which is grounded in Jesus Christ. So this is where things get rough. Because hard to discern, and then also we are very comfortable with Jesus that's uh, I'm going to speak kind of metaphorically and symbolic here, but I'm very comfortable with, with God up in heaven. I'm very uncomfortable God in the midst of me. So if I have someone who's a truth teller in front of me, I can't, I can't ignore it. I can't dismiss it. If, you know, but if, if the truth teller is kind of abstract, meaning he, you know, I just read about it in books, or I see him on TV, or if God is in heaven then I can kind of just rationalize things, and I can do my own thing. I was thinking
1: about, like, doing my own job. And you We're always told to do our own. Like, tell your supervisor all the great things you've done. That's right.
0: Right. The weird thing that's like in yet yeah, for religion was suspicious of people who took their own home. That's right. the society lives a completely differently
1: and we don't value the people that in our workplaces that don't do like the people who do
0: what they're on they in my company they go places right. that are kind of not that great people. Now so this is this is the thing is that now so as Paul quote unquote toots his own horn. Again, we have to see what is he actually saying. There's the content to it. Not so much the action of it, but there's the content of it. And this is where, this is where the big distinguishing factor comes in. So as Paul toots his own horn, he's describing things that nobody wants to be a part of. Being publicly shamed, beaten, uh, uh, yeah, running out of town, you know, being labeled a huckster... I mean, all these things. So, I mean, so this is where, this is where you, you, you kind of ask yourself, okay, Paul says, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Jesus, this is what happened to Jesus. This is what happens. This is what happened to me. This is what happens to you. And if it's not happening, then you have to say, oh, wait, what's wrong? And then that's, that's where the choice comes in but i think your question over here was more of like how do i just see this person like how how do they see paul and and it's so easy so paul though when he self promotes you have to so now we have to kind of see it in the grander scheme of the new testament what else does paul call himself yeah apostles of christ but i mean in terms of like he's a slave first among who sinners so so this is where we get so this is where we often will say if someone self promotes, they're denying... So I ended this last week too with saying, as Paul says, I was holy, righteous, and blameless. He's not saying he is perfect or sinless. Yeah, right. Okay? So, is, so that is one of the great things that is, is, is Paul is showing us is that as he talks about imitating him, part of that is the confession of sins. And if you have exactly, oh yeah, absolutely, philosophers, and then that would go with what Kirby says, very different than than your uh yearly review, because yeah you 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 demonstrate how you fulfilled your job description in glowing terms, but at the same time you are in glowing terms saying how you're not doing a good job. I mean you have this this whole scenario going on, and as as someone sees this then then they say this part is of Jesus, of course, and this part is is not. It, it, you know, I mean, but uh, the one who is able to acknowledge one's sins, of course, then is to be <laughs> imitated too, right? So, anyway. so uh, so it, it is a fine balance. However, so as as a, okay, so as as a pastor comes and tells the truth, and you're faced with the truth. You either can say to, to, you can either say, you're right. I, sh- I need to do something about this. I need to change. I need to say I'm sorry. I need to, ch-, you know. Or you can say, uh, he's just a man. I, I you know, I only, I only listen to God, not, not man. So I'm not going to listen to you. Or, uh, you know, I, he's just interested in promoting himself, so I'm not going to listen to him. It still doesn't change the fact what he said was true, though. I mean, and in terms of like pastoral care, pastors run into this quite a bit. You say something that's truthful, they say, "You're it's all about you." Okay, but you actually haven't answered this question or this issue. Um, and so, how, so yeah, so uh, so how do you view these people if you run into them? Is uh. Well Paul has a couple ways of handling them it just kind of anybody, anybody like in reading the new testament How, what does Paul do with people who are just are not willing to listen what's that well yeah well he uh he uh so yeah so Jesus says, you know wipe the dust off your feet and say hey but god's God is still here uh and Paul does that. But he he says to some of the congregations, well, I'm sorry. Okay, yep. Yeah, well, and uh, by Paul later, though, yeah, so this is good. You're right. So, so Paul, so Paul's describing his character in terms of like how he tells the truth. And uh, he's like an infant, so he's considering himself lowly. Well, uh, so but hang on. We got back up here, Carol. So, let's hang on. So, Paul says, I'm an apostle. I could have done, I could have said, I'm an apostle, and you would have had to listen to me. But I came to you as as gentle or as an infant, as a nursing mother. The nursing mother, though, is primarily not in terms of, like, emotions, but, the, like, the physical act, not to get too graphic here, is that you share yourself with your baby. Um, and then the father is the one who encourages and exhorts, exhorts. So you have this father who wants to see the children blossom. And then, but the thing is, though, as Paul, so Paul talks, has all this family imagery, which... And, but yeah, so I was going to say, so then he comes back to the brother. So, and precisely where you suffer. So Paul says, brothers, we suffer. So this is very interesting. So the teaching and the, kind of the, the leading aspect is the maternal-paternal aspect. But when it comes to living and suffering, it's, it's, you're, you're together. Your brother leads together. So, so uh, yeah. So, so Carol, right? So he, he's gentle, he's he's fatherly, but at the same time, later though, how do you treat? I mean, so think about this. When I when I treat my brother in a much different way than I treat my children. Okay, good. So someone at least understood that what I'm going at. I punch my brother in the face. I wrestle him and say, "Stop doing that." I mean, I'm I'm a lot more. Uh, Yeah, I'm a lot more honest. I can be... And so uh, Paul says, admonish the idol, I-D-L-E, later. And that's actually the most... uh, The word admonish kind of loses its effect here. But basically he's telling the congregation, uh, "Tell, tell the lazy people in your congregation, either they start working or they're out of here. There's like, there's no, there's no like... Hey, you know, maybe you should start helping out around here. There's no gentle, there's no fatherly encouragement. It's like, hey, you goon, start doing this or you're out of here. Because that's how brothers, that's how brothers treat your brother. I mean, I mean, you're all women, so you don't know what it is to be a brother, but you know, like how to have a brother. Some of you. I know. I Holly had, you know, what, you know. So, anyways, but okay. But the whole point is, though, is that as brothers, you can, you can basically admonish people to listen to the truth because you're on the same level. And that's why Paul, that's, what, that's what Paul does. He's admonishing them, or when he has to. He's not doing it like he's lording it over them, but as a brother. And that's what people don't understand in pastoral care. Uh, anyway, so so Paul says later, he says, Don't hang around with these people. Um, It's called excommunication. And Paul actually has excommunication in the New Testament. Corinthians, where you have this guy who's married to his mother-in-law. I mean, weird. But it's like, okay. It's okay with the Corinthians. Because, you know, it's cool. Don't worry about it. Paul's like, what is wrong with you people? If he doesn't listen to you, then... You're out of here. So, uh, yes. So, Paul has a lot of different ways of handling those people who are not willing to listen to the truth. And that's where we apply. We live our life. We do what God has us to do. Well, we believe God. That life of God lives in us. And then we, uh, we figure things out. The, the other thing, though, is, is that, again, with... So, Paul says, admonish the idol in chapter 5, in case you were wondering where that is, in chapter 5, verse 14. So you listen to the pastor. So the pastor says, hey, this is what, this is what should happen, and this is what you do, and they should just do it because it's, I mean, it's the truth. It's not because of what the pastor says. It's because the pastor tells the truth. The thing is, though, is that um, I, I would say, though, like, for instance, where Stephen Frutrick is like this extreme uh, example of uh, kind of debauchery and gluttony and, and I think in a lot of churches it's the opposite. Uh, Lutheran churches. Because I know of, of friends of mine and, and classmates of mine who the people don't pay the pastor because they don't want to. And so that's a whole different scenario. But they actually think that they're fulfilling, like, this, hey, this pastor is supposed to be a... So they're basically telling the pastor how he should be a sacrificial servant. But that's that, that, kind of, that, that gets all the father, maternal, mother, father imagery all mixed up. So um, that's a whole different issue, but that doesn't really deal with Thessalonians, but that's something in the back of our minds. So what Paul is saying is that in this circumstance I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to labor because all these other people over here have 16,000 square foot homes and I'm not like them. But in Galatia and Corinth it's not that way and he says, hey, make sure you you pay your teachers their their rightful due. So, um, you know, I'm glad I'm not in Charlotte, North Carolina right now because I would have to be a different pastor. I might have to say, look it, I worked in a night and day so that you don't have to basically pay me. Well, yeah, right, that, that's, that's exactly right. And I would say that, that that's probably more of a, of a current situation in a lot of Lutheran par- parishes. But that's a whole different scenario, which is not in Thessalonians, so we're sticking with the Thessalonians. Any other questions or concerns or whatever I, I think we kind of touched on everything in the outline, but um next week we will'll we'll actually we'll we'll do a little uh, wow, this is going to sound bad, but we're going to yes we're gonna, we're going to take a look at some of the bible verses um but it's, it's, we're going to kind of piece together something. And I, I, it'll be kind of interesting. I think it'll be interesting for a lot of people because we'll start out with a video. Are we still doing Thessalonians? You betcha. First Thessalonians. We're going to do it until uh, Christmas and then uh, or whatever, December. And then we'll, we're going we're to do something different. TBD. To be determined. So go ahead and keep re- reading Thessalonians but see if you you can uh figure out there's a kind of a mirror reading that you could pr- figure out especially in uh kind of starting in chapter 3 but all the way to the end of the book so chapters 3 4 and 5 why is paul telling these people these things because if i say you know uh I don't know why this popped in my head, but it seems like a silly thing, but um, if I tell Holly to make sure she takes her gloves, what am I saying about the weather? It's going to be cold. And what am I saying about Holly? She gets cold hands. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I wasn't thinking that. So, all right, good. See, I learned something there, too. Anyways, so uh, you can actually, you can do that to a certain extent with Thessalonians. You can, you can say, why is Paul telling them to not be drunk or, or uh, do, do things at nighttime? Okay, I mean, like, you know, so there must be something going on. So, all right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done